Um, man, she's, she's good. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Matt, and I was the missions pastor here at Antioch for a couple years before uh, I moved on to work with a missions organization. And so I'm still here. I still go to church here. I'm here every week. Um, but it's good to be up here again and see all you guys at once. Like it's, you guys look good. It's a good-looking church. Um, so, yeah, missions, it was kind of a good time in Kins in Africa. And uh, last week, Josh Butler from Imago Day, their missions pastor, gave a really great message. And next week is a guy named Celestine who's from Africa who's going to do a phenomenal job. And so today, you, you get me. And um, so what I want to talk about is hope. And I want to talk about hope as the primary agent of missions, um, kind of like a, a tool that we learn how to use effectively or a language that we learn how to speak so that we can communicate something that needs to be communicated. I want to talk about hope as the primary agent of, of missions. And to do that, I want to look at a couple different things. Uh, the first one is, is hope as light. The second one is hope as language. And the last one is going to be hope as life. And if we have time at the end, um, we'll maybe figure out what that actually means for us here today at Antioch and um, maybe think about it throughout the rest of the week. So that's what we're going to do. And so I just want to pray as we get started. So if you'd bow your heads with me, that'd be great. Father, thanks for uh, Sunday and uh, church, um, a place to get together and to be, to be known by our neighbors, by our community, and by you. And thanks for your word, God, that we get to open it up and just use it as a... Um, a source to examine our hearts, God, our lives to lead us forward, to be a light on our path, God. We uh, are really, really grateful for the chance to gather together. And I'm thankful to be here, Lord, um, to be a part of this community, this church, who is doing incredible things for your kingdom. I pray that we would continue in that vein, Lord, to give our lives away here in Bend and here in this country and around the world, Lord. So just pray for this time and ask that you would come and move in each of us individually. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I, I want to tell a story today uh, to kind of set the scene for, for these three different uh, aspects of hope that I want to talk about. And so here's the scene. A lot of you know this summer I was part of this really ridiculous bike ride. And it was a bike ride from here in Bend, Oregon to Baltimore, Maryland. It's about 3,000 miles, and we did it in seven days. And a lot of you guys know a lot about it because you helped support it. Um, we did it to raise money for the Congo. We have uh, a lot of friends over in Congo who are doing some really great ministry in, in the midst of some really, really tough circumstances. There's been a, a civil war going on over there for about 10 years. It's claimed the lives of about five and a half million people, and no, nobody even really knows about it. So we did this bike ride to raise awareness, raise the money, and if you gave, listen to this, we, we raised over $120,000 for the Congo just by putting on some spandex and riding across the country. So it was this really, really, um, really, really cool experience. Um, but I had some, a, a lot of time to think sitting on this bike. And um, as a guy who loves missions and, and being a part of this team, raising money for Africa and Congo, I was thinking a lot about missions. And so I had these very distinct thoughts. And so here, here's, the, here's the scene. It's um, 4 a.m. And it's about 38 degrees outside. And I get woken up. And someone says, hey, you're up, <laughs> which means get out into the cold, put your spandex on, find your gloves, find your hat, and get on the bike because it's about your turn. And so 4 o'clock in the morning in eastern Idaho, approaching the Grand Tetons. And it's foggy, 
and it's just dense, and it's, it's, it's dark. It is so dark. There's no difference between sky and land. There's, there's no light anywhere. And I was the first one on this particular leg, and the way it worked is it was a relay, so when you were riding, you were by yourself. No other bikers, nobody in a car, you're just by yourself. And at 4 a.m. in eastern Idaho, when it's 38 degrees and it's dark, your mind starts playing these weird games with you. <laughs> like saying things like, why are you here? Um, you know, your legs, your legs are mad at you because like 30 minutes ago they were sleeping in an RV and now they're in the cold and they're working. And um, your, your body just hurts and it does not like you one bit. And uh, so there I am at four, four o'clock in the morning. Did I mention that it was dark? Like it was so, so, so dark. And there was just this really loud presence in me, this loud voice saying all these things like, Matt, you're not a bike rider. You've never been on a bike in your life. What are you doing out here? Or saying things like, you're never going to make it. This is day three. There's seven days. You're only in Idaho. You have to go to Maryland. Just pull over and, and call it quits. Like, you're going to let the whole team down. Like, you didn't train enough. You're not equipped for this. You're not athletic enough. What are you doing out here? And it was really interesting. I started noticing that on the rides during the day, I didn't have many of these thoughts. And if I did, they were very short and futile, and they didn't last very long. But at night, when it was dark, I started to feel really really isolated and really lonely, really cut off from the road that I was riding because you have a little, a little bike light that shoots like a two-foot wide beam of light, and that's all you can see, just this little cone of light. And you can't see the, the environment, the landscape. I felt very cut off from that, um, very cut off from my teammates. They were somewhere up ahead waiting for me to get there, and if I fell over in a ditch, like, I'm sure they just would have kept going. Like, it just would have been me in a ditch in Idaho with the bears and the eagles and the the roadkill. Um, just feeling very, very, very isolated, right? And I, and I started thinking, like, man, this darkness is messing with my head. It's making me believe and think all these things that I'm pretty sure aren't true. But, man, it sure is convincing. And when we're talking about hope today, hope is the primary agent of missions. I think we really need to start there with a realistic look at darkness, the reality of darkness, and what it does to us as individuals and to our neighbors and to our community and to this world in general. Um, so if, if you have your Bibles, man, there are so many cool parts of the Bible that talk about what we're talking about today. So I'm going to start in Psalm 22, if you want to flip there with me. So I started sensing that, that it was this darkness that was the one making me believe these lies and think these crazy thoughts that I wasn't good enough, that I was alone and isolated and all by myself in this venture across the country. And you start thinking things like this when darkness is, is really present in your life. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. My God, where are you, God? And I'm not just talking about a bike ride right now. I'm talking about life. When darkness is real and, and pressing in, and it's, it's this voice screaming inside of us, you've been abandoned. 
not just by your spouse or your kids or your organization or your company or your neighbors or your family, but by God himself. And there we are in the darkness saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Have even you left me here by myself? Am I truly that alone? Uh, Flip over to Psalm 88. It says this, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to hell. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. If, if, you're, if you're not hurting, if you're not suffering or wrestling intensely with a doubt or a question or a fear in your life, the Psalms can be totally uncivilized. I mean, who talks like that? Who writes that to God? Who, who, who composes that as a song and brings it to a chorus and says, this is what I want to sing about God. I'm in a pit, and life is hard, and there's no hope, and there's no light, and there's no way out of this. I have been abandoned. My God, why have you forsaken me? And this reality of darkness is, is translated into this really powerful metaphor throughout the Psalms, the, the metaphor of the pit, being left alone in this darkness with no hope of change. And we need to look at that seriously. And I think there's a couple different kinds of examples of darkness that, that you and I run into. And I think the first example would be a, an outer darkness. A darkness that is external from us as individuals. It's a, it's a system that is corrupt. It's a system that is backwards. It's a system that exists to take advantage to oppress so it can exist. Uh, It's Congo. It's Congo where a very small group of people are in charge and they reap all the benefits and all the rewards and live in luxury and to do so they oppress and use injustice to push down and disadvantage 99% of the country. And it's an external darkness to live in that system and to look at that as an individual living inside that kind of corrupt structure and saying, there's no way I'm ever going to get out of this. This is way too big. I'm just one person inside this big thing. I'm just going to be taken advantage of and oppressed, living in fear in this pit my entire life. I think another example of darkness, one that might relate more so to you and I, is a season of darkness. A season of darkness where a sudden loss, or a surprising grief comes and kind of grips your soul. I think for a lot of us here, that means the loss of a job that you didn't see coming, that you weren't prepared financially to be able to survive. I'm sure if I asked to raise hands right now, there'd be plenty. It could be the loss of a home. You know, that place that you were safe and comfortable, that place where you belonged, and now it's gone. 
and you don't know why, you don't know where to go, you don't know how to get that back. Or it might be the loss of a relationship, maybe a dating relationship that you thought was going great, and then you got a text message that said, I want to see somebody else, and you're like, that happens. That happens. And, and you're left looking at that text message going, what was wrong with me? Why wasn't I good enough? And there's this sudden onset season of, of grief and mourning. Maybe it's a marriage that falls apart in your hands that you felt powerless to fix. And you're left wondering, why wasn't I good enough to fix this? And maybe it's the loss uh, of a friend or a sibling or a close friend to death. And it launches you into this pit and you, you look up and it's just dark on dark on dark and you're asking, my God, have you even forsaken me? Am I truly alone? Am I by myself? And see, I want us to see that in these different examples of darkness, fundamentally they all exist to kill relationship. And darkness is anti-relationship. For the one in the system, who do they trust? When there's corruption, when there's oppression, when there's injustice, who's the authority they go to? Who do they cry out to and say, please come and help me? In Congo, it's not the police. The police oftentimes are the ones raping women. It's not the army. Oftentimes the army are the ones raping women. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Where do you go? Where do you go with, with, with your claim? Where do you go to find your, your reconciliation? And the system is backwards that way. Or in the season of darkness, you're convinced that nobody, nobody can understand what you're going through. Nobody can relate. The, 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 last, the last example, I think, would be of an inner darkness. And I'm sure a lot of us can relate to this in here. An inner darkness where we have some sort of secret that is leading our souls to live with a quiet desperation an addiction, a habit, a drug, an alcohol, a pornography. Something that we know that if it was brought into a room like this, into a public space, it would ruin us. It would be the end of our reputation completely, and so we keep it down in there. That toxic barrel of stuff in our gut, and we carry that weight. And when we're in that situation, we have to be anti-relational. We cannot trust anybody else with that truth because that truth will be the end of us. And so we lie and we deceive. And we put up this boundary so that nobody else can discern the true workings of our heart and the, tr and the real things going on in our gut. We have to be anti-relational if we're carrying around that inner kind of darkness, that secrecy that leads to a quiet, quiet desperation. So darkness is fundamentally anti-relational. It breeds loneliness. And that's how I felt on this bike ride, totally alone, in the dark, in the cold, hurting, this loud voice shouting in my ear, Lance Armstrong couldn't do this. So get out of here. But I'll tell you guys something interesting. There was a, a quiet voice, a still small voice, and it said this, the light is coming. The light is coming, just like that. You can't do this. You're not good enough. You're never going to make it. You didn't train. You're not a bike rider. The light is coming. 
And I knew what that meant because our, um, our trailer that we, were riding, uh, that we were riding to, so there was a team van that had the, the other teammates in it. There was a driver, there was this trailer, and it was sweet. We had our bikes in there, like these stalls. You'd, you'd put them in, strap them on. It was really easy to get in and out of. And when you're on the bike riding, you're, you're, you're looking for that because on the back of it, there was a, a strip of light, like a 300 billion watt strip of light that like construction workers use at night so that they're safe and, and easy to see, and it's on the back of the trailer. When they pulled over, they flip it on so that they were safe, oncoming traffic wouldn't hit them. And when you were riding, that's what you were looking for, the light. The light's coming, the light's coming, the light's coming, the light's coming. And the worst part about riding in the dark is you couldn't see your little computer on your bike because mine didn't have a light on it. So you're like flying totally blind. I don't know how fast I'm going. I don't know how far I've gone. I was certain I'd gone 3,000 miles by myself. And I'm still out there. And this quiet voice, the light is coming, the light is coming. And it was the most um, ridiculous thing to hear. It was the most ridiculous thing. It was like this little prophetic voice saying, hang in there. And in these seasons of darkness in, in our real lives, whether it's the outer, the season, or the inner kind of darkness, like, it is so absurd. It is so absurd when someone comes to you or, or, or a quiet voice inside of you says, hang in there. The light is coming. I mean, you're in the pit. You're asking God, have even you forsaken me? And out of nowhere, the light is coming. I mean, this prophetic voice. You want to slap it in the face. Because it's trivializing your pain, right? Your loneliness. It's not taking you seriously. I mean, here you are being totally honest and blunt, coming to the altar of God like the psalmist and saying, have you forsaken me? You're not keeping it to yourself. You're, bringing, you're being faithful with the pain. You're being faithful with the wound, and you're bringing it to God and saying, what do I do with this, Lord? And you're waiting for an answer, and it comes, and it says the light is coming. And all throughout the Bible, there's, there's, there's amazing prophetic voices that are saying things like this. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 59. Chapter 59, 9. Listen to this. Isaiah is talking to the Israelites, God's chosen people who have been promised some pretty awesome things. And here they are living in exile, totally cut off from everything God has promised them. And they're wondering, did God forget about us? And this is what Isaiah is saying to them. In verse 9, chapter 59, justice is far from us. Righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold, darkness. We want brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. Listen to this. We growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. You're in a pit, Israel. All the things God should be doing and bringing your way, the things that he has promised, where are they? I mean, this is an honest assessment of where they are. And, and then Isaiah goes on to say this in 60, chapter 60, verse 1. He's talking about what will come. Arise, he says, shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Yeah, it's dark. Yeah, it's a pit. Yeah, you're going to the altar and asking God, have you forsaken him? But I'm telling you, the light, it's coming. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how alone you feel, trust me, the light is coming, this small, quiet, prophetic voice 
the light is coming. And there's nothing the darkness can do about it. So on the ride, we'd, 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 you know, we'd, we'd be riding, and, and finally, you know, just sitting out there, <laughs> come on. And, and there it is, the light. And at first, it's like really small and fuzzy, and it's way out there. And it disappears behind a turn for a while, and you're like, was that real? Did I really see that? Uh, is my mind playing tricks on me? And you come around the next corner, and there it is, and it's bigger, and it's brighter, and it's closer. And your heart just like, it taps into this energy, this strength that you didn't even know you had left. And, and you start riding as fast as you can. And you realize that's really stupid because that light is so bright, it's still like five miles away. And you're not going to make it, so you slow down again. And the light disappears behind a hill, and you're thinking, it's okay. I know it's there now. I saw it. I know it's there. I know I'm going to make it. I'm not going to end up in this ditch. I'm not going to make a wrong turn and end up in Louisiana you know, while they're still going to Baltimore. And the most incredible thing, you guys, you'd get up to the light and your, your eyes were so adjusted to the dark and, and this little cone of light that you had that it was absolutely blinding. And when you ride up to it, it just looked like a wall of light, like there was nothing there but just this wall of light. And you'd ride into it and you couldn't see anything because your eyes are just, your pupils are pff, schizophrenic. They don't know what to do. And, and sure enough, you pull up and you stop. And before you can see something, before your eyes adjust, you hear something incredible. Someone says, welcome back, Matt. You're like, whoa. And then another voice coming the other side. It says, oh my goodness. That was a heinous stretch of road. And you did it. Well done. And then another guy reaches over and gives you a high five. And, and he's in his spandex. And he says, great job, man. It's my turn. I'm going to take this for a while. And poof, there he goes off into the dark. And the other guys say, we'll take care of this. Give us your bike. Go get in the van where it's warm. Rest up and eat. We've got this. And it's just the most, I mean, that became my favorite part of the whole ride. <laughs> like getting to sit down. But beyond that, like, I started thinking as, as, as I kept going through this routine night after night after night after night, like out there, I'm like just thinking, hope, hope is a light. Hope is a light that starts small and fuzzy on the horizon. And it disappears for a while, but that's okay because you've seen it. And you know that it's coming if you just keep going. If you just hold on, you'll get there. Hope is a light. But, but beyond that, here, here's what else I started thinking. Before light was light, it was a word. I mean, the truly encouraging thing, yes, it was great to see the light, but to ride into the light and to hear my name and to hear someone say, job well done, and to have someone say, I'm going to carry this burden for a while, go into the van and rest, you have no idea how full of hope that was. <laughs> I mean, that's just, on a, that's just on a bike ride. If we translate that into, into real life, I mean, Hope is a light, but before light was light, light was a word. I mean, I'm already running out of time, so flip over to the Gospel of John with me. And look at this. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You guys hear what I'm trying to say? 
Hope is a light. Before light was light, it was a word. In the beginning was the word. The word was in the beginning. And the word created. I mean, if you flip back to Genesis 1 and just start reading through the uh, creation narrative that's in there, it, it says this. God said, let there be light. God said, let there be separation between the earth and the heaven. God said, let there be land. God said, let there be creatures of all kinds that float and walk and fly. God said, let us make man. And he knelt down and he breathed into us. And there we were. There's this idea in scripture that God speaks and it is powerful. That God speaks and light is created. God speaks and it comes into the darkness and it overcomes the darkness. That somehow God is powerful enough to turn darkness into light. I can't do that. This word, this logos, this power of God, it makes light and light is the life-sustaining, heat-giving energy of life. The word was the light of men. The word was the light of men. Now flip over to John chapter 8. This is the word that became flesh. This is the word that became a light and the light that became a man. And he says this in John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to everyone saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. He will have the light of life. I am the light, Jesus says. Like, this is significant. This is really significant. Hope is a light in a season of darkness. The prophetic voice inside of you or around you is saying, the light is coming. Trust me, the light is coming. Hope is a light. Before light was light, it was a word. It created. It made. And then it manifest itself. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here in John 8, 12, the word as flesh says, I am the light of the world. If you walk in me, you will not have darkness, but you will walk in the light of men forever. So what does this mean? Why, why does this matter that, that hope is a word, that hope is a language, that hope is hearing your name? Um, flip over to 1 John. Sorry for the, the rapid scripture flipping, but I'm trying to fill all this in because this is really exciting for me. <laughs> First John chapter 5. So why does this matter? If hope is a light and hope is a word, check this out. First John chapter 1 verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And here, here's the point I really want to land on and I really want us to walk away with today. Light is hope. Because in light, there is fellowship. When you ride into the light, there's community welcoming you, saying, job well done. You don't have to go out there anymore. You can rest. 
That's what Ezra the scribe says in, in chapter 9, verse 8. He says, God brings light to our eyes and relief to our bondage. In 1 John, he's saying that in the light, there's fellowship, there's community, there is relationship. One, first, because Jesus himself is the light. When you come into the light, it's the light of men. It's the same voice, the same power that creates everything. And here's here's the thing that matters most. In the light, you are known. In the light, you're called by name. In the light, you hear a voice that knows you, and you know that the darkness can't ever take that away. You know that you have found a place to belong, a home. All the anti-relational things that built up in the darkness, the questions, why have you forsaken me, the pit, am I ever going to get out of here? My life is despair upon despair upon despair, and that light comes, and it invites you into it, and it welcomes you, and it calls you by name, and it knows you. You're not alone. That's why we're here on Sunday morning at Antioch Church. Look at us in Bend, Oregon. We're gathering together to see one another and to say we're not alone. It might be a season of darkness. There might be an inner darkness. But when you come into the light, there's no grief too great that the light can't shine into it. There's no secret so outrageous that the light can't handle it. There's no structure so oppressive that the light can't transform it. When you come into the light, you are known. You hear your name from the word himself and from others. That's why we're here. We're here to put our secrets on the altar together and say, this used to control me, but not anymore. I'm stepping into the light. We're here to bear our grief and our mourning together and put it at the altar and come together with our friends and say, I can't do this alone. What did Dylan say? We were in Argentina and we realized we can't do this alone. We need each other. In the light, there is fellowship. In the light, there is community, church, relationship. Hope is life. Hope is relationship. Hope is a friend listening to you speak honestly about the secret and saying, that's welcome here. Hope is a friend coming and sitting with you when when you've lost a spouse to cancer and saying, I know it's hard and I'm with you. I can't fix it, but I'm with you. Hope Hope is going to those in the oppressive structure and sitting with them in the injustice weighing upon their lives and saying, the light is coming. I promise. The light is coming. And so, so what does that mean? Lastly, we'll just kind of end here. Go back to the Gospel of John. Here's, to be missional, to, to use hope, there's something we need to, to remember. Uh, John 1, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. I mean, to be missional um, doesn't mean you have to go to Argentina. It means you can go grocery shopping at Safeway. I guarantee you that person stocking the shelves or checking you out or waiting in line behind you is hurting. I guarantee you someone sitting next to you is hurting. I, I know a lot of you are hurting. 
And, and the great hope that a missionary carries, that a Christian carries, is that the light has come. And one of the great lies, one of the great manipulations of the darkness is to tell you that you are the light. That feels good. I'm the light. You're not the light. Like John the Baptist, you're a witness to the light. You've seen the transforming power of the light. You've ridden into the light. You've been called by name. You've been forgiven. You've received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace from the light. The light is a word that knows your name. You live in that. You're a witness to that. And the mission of God, mission, the Latin word missio, M-I-S-S-I-O, means to send with a purpose. God's mission to reclaim all things to himself, to redeem the world, to draw men and women back to him. That's his mission, to bring the kingdom of God to bear. That's his mission. And to do it, he sent his son. And he has sent the spirit. God has done his part in sending and here we are, commissioned, brought together, witnesses of the light. And God is saying, go. Go shopping. Go knock on your neighbor's door. Go to that cubicle in your office that you know where that person is hurting. Go to Argentina. Go to Congo. Go. I'm sending you out with a mission to be a witness to the light. Because when you step into the light, you find that you're not alone. And if there's one thing we need to know the most, it's that we're in this together. You are not alone. Because God himself is with you. That's what it says in Philippians 2. Jesus was with God, but he gave that up, became a man, humbled himself to life, even death upon a cross. God has joined us. And we're not alone. I'm going to leave you with, um, as the band comes uh, back up right now, I want to leave you with just a, a couple things I, I pieced together and just ask you to kind of bow your heads and close your eyes and listen to this as a prayer. This is from Paul. Paul who wrote 13 of the letters in the New Testament. Paul who was an eyewitness to the light, a great witness to the light one of the first missionaries in the church. And he says this, You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are a light in the world. So walk as children of the light. When you speak, Say only what helps, because every word is a gift. And give thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Father, that we would be the witness to your light. Father, that we would be courageous enough to believe in the absurd hope that a light is coming into the darkness and that the darkness is helpless against it. God, that we would be great witnesses, that our good deeds would go before us, that we would be a city on a hill, Lord, that we would seek to 
break the yoke of oppression, to set free the enslaved God, because then the light will rise on us, and then you will make straight our paths, that we would be a missionary church, God, in Argentina, in Congo, in Bend, in our own homes, Lord, because we have seen the light, and we know that it shines into the darkness, and the darkness will never overcome it.